every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Brad Rinklin, CMO at Infoblox, a computer and network security company that unites networking and security to deliver unmatched performance and protection for a world that never stops. In this episode, Brad shares with us how Infoblox is expanding its buyer persona reach, what a modern marketing team looks like, and the importance of adapting to whatever your data tells you. Brad also talks about what makes a great marketer better than the average marketer, creating the right thing in the right place at the right time. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Brad Rinklin, CMO at Infoblox, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Brad. How are you? I'm very well, Ian. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on the show. Excited to chat Pipeline, chat Infoblox, your background, everything in between. And today's show is always brought to you by our friends at Qualified. You can go to qualified.com to learn about the number one conversational sales marketing platform for companies, revenue teams that use Salesforce. Head over to qualified.com to learn more. Brad, first question, how'd you get into marketing? Well, you know, I went to school for marketing in way back in the late 80s, early 90s. Did a double double major, marketing and economics. And then I went right from there, right into technology training and sales. Nothing to do with marketing. And was in that kind of role for, I don't know, maybe about 15 years, carrying a bag, quota bearing, sales rep, focused in on, on, on the technology product. And then one day, my boss, who was the then head of sales and then became the president of the company, told me one day, hey, by the way, I'm moving you to marketing. So, so I had, I had no choice. I went in, went in and, and, and focused in on a, a role that he wanted me to work within marketing to kind of help the sales and the marketing teams work more cohesively. And it's obviously something that we always face as marketers is the ca- small chasm or large chasm, depending on your company between sales and marketing. That was my job. And that was my first foray into it. And I, and I loved it and, and stayed in marketing ever since. So this was, 2003, maybe, when I when I got that little reassignment into marketing and have been here ever since. And now you carry an even bigger bag called Pipeline. <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's the, the burden that we all carry on the back, but it's, it's a fun one. That's right. So flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be CMO of Infoblox. Listen, I've got a great team at, at Infoblox. We're charged with some, some interesting business challenges. We are a 25-year-old networking giant when it comes to DNS and DNS management, the 5,000-pound gorilla, if you will, in the marketplace, and have always been known as one of these pioneers in the DNS space. And in the last four or five years, we added a, a complete separate security arm to the business where we focused in on 
DNS security. So from a marketing standpoint, we, as the total global marketing team, product marketing, digital marketing, field marketing, partner marketing, the BDR team, corporate marketing, and, and the ops team, we're all focused on driving the awareness and demand for our product, which is not well known in the security space, which is leveraging DNS as a security tool. And so we're constantly driving the business around the security, as well as maintaining and growing the networking side of the business at, at the, at, without having a, a completely separate you know, messaging platform and, and demand generation platform. In fact, just recently, we really focused in on bringing the two messages together and uniting the concept of networking security. And that's been working really, really well. So every day we wake up, we're, we're trying to drive pipeline on both sides of the business. And if all possible, drive pipeline where the, we were combining the two products together and selling it as a full solution to customers. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest pipeline secrets. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about InfoBlock's customers and who you're selling to. It's always a great place to start, the buyer themselves. And I think we are very, very focused on making sure that we're continually refreshing, updating, and expanding our buyer persona research. And we really have two major buyers. We have a network buyer, buys our networking product, and quite obvious, the security buyer that buys a security product. But there's another person in there, really interesting dynamic of a, of a, I don't even know if they, you would call it an influencer. I actually call it a non-buyer. And that is a cloud ops. Cloud operations is a, is a department that's really, you know, obviously been growing quite a bit over the years as companies start to leverage multiple cloud service providers, AWS, Azure, GCP. And for networking, there always is a buyer that's buying the DNS system to manage the on-prem enterprise. But cloud architects are buying services to be able to deploy applications and workloads into the cloud. And in that process, they're actually making a passive decision to buy the Amazon, Microsoft, or Google cloud DNS system. It just happens to be one of the things that they click on the on the checkbox to be able to get their their workloads deployed. They don't care what what it is. They just need to be able to click the button and go. So it's a very much a passive decision. But that passive decision has big implications on the growth of our product in the enterprise. And so we have to take into account that particular persona as we are thinking about messaging and positioning among the overall buyer audience, the networking and security. So those are our three three buyers. Those are the ones that we that we focus on the most. The security buyers, as you can imagine, within this space are inundated just daily with with security companies who are trying to get you know their their dollars spent and trying to add their their technology to the company's security architecture. And there's just so many players out there. The market is so saturated. And we're, we're bringing to market a solution that is very unique, actually nascent to these security buyers. So we're having to do a lot of education, a lot of evangelization of what our security strategy is for them, what our solution actually does for them. On the networking side, like I said, very well known. For them, we're just trying to convince more and more 
of the companies who have not yet made the purchasing decision to move away from leveraging something like a Microsoft DNS that comes with Windows Server to move to an enterprise solution. So that one's a little bit different of a motion. So we're constantly looking at those two buying audiences and seeing what things are changing, the ways they're making the decision, the the places they're doing their research, the overall buying center and and and, and who's involved within that uh, that process. What are the triggers that makes them wake up every day and and say, okay, or wake up any day and say, I, I need to make a change here. I need to go buy a solution. We're looking across the three major geos that we that we focus in on and and, and sell to, and and seeing if there's differences between the geos, differences in between some of the trends that are driving the decisions that are out there, and then adjusting, once again, kind of our go-to-market, our, our, our messaging, our demand generation strategy, and so forth. Yeah, any other thoughts on sort of like the buying committee overall or how you approach that when, when you know you're talking about such a complex sort of big sale? Yeah, it's interesting because there's not a huge amount of data that we have seen where the networking and security team are working together in a buying committee. It's starting to happen. It's hopefully something at Groundswell that's starting to happen that will ultimately be a trend because they're so intrinsically connected, that network and security. But for many reasons, the two departments, even though they are maybe role within the CIO, the two departments almost have that chasm between those two and, and almost not adversarial, but like, you know, this is our lawn, stay off our lawn, that's your lawn, you stay on your lawn type, type of mentality. So we have to think about how to approach that complex of a, of, of a buying committee and either try to get the, the other team to help influence and be a part of and buy off on a solution like ours before we actually do the final sale. Otherwise we'll get blocked or it'll it'll delay and, and prolong the selling process. And so we have to we have to think about that. And like I said uh, before on that that non-buyer, that cloud architect, if we don't focus in on the things that they worry about the most when it comes to what our solutions do, they'll block it as well because all they want to do is go as fast as they can. They don't want extra process or delays or controls that are going to mess up what they're trying to do. And so if we, as long as we can make sure that they are of the understanding, our systems aren't going to slow them down or not going to add in those challenges or friction into their, into their process, then we should be, be okay. But that's what we're constantly trying to do is that education, bringing them in, giving them a better understanding of how the symbiotic relationship between the two products can actually help each other, help the other team actually do their job better. And that's, that's really been the secret of, of, of where we're actually seeing success. How do you organize and structure your, your marketing org? It's relatively traditional. I've kind of gone back and forth over the, you know, the past 20 years on, you know, is it growth marketing? You know, is it, is it all demand under one area? I've done hub and spoke. I've tried everything. This one, you know, it's, it's the size of a company where I can embrace the elegance of simplicity, right? We have a field marketing team. That field marketing team takes care of all field marketing, but also partner marketing within the global org. I have a digital marketing team that focuses on everything digital, including the website. They own the website. We're in the middle of looking at how we can evolve the overall information architecture and the interactivity of that website, but that's that team. So all the digital campaigns, everything rolls under them. I have a product marketing team. The vast majority of the content that we 
leverage as our quote unquote bait in our inbound content marketing strategy is, is produced out of that organization. We have a corporate marketing team that has your PR and your AR, creative team, editorial is all in, in, under that group. I have a BDR team sits obviously in between the demand that we're creating and ultimately the meetings that we're setting for the for the the reps. I have a, an excellent operations team that I rely on more and more every single day. As advanced of a, as a marketing operations team that I've ever had, which is amazing to be able to have. And I have an evangelist, something that I have had in in years past with a little bit larger of a team. But this evangelist happens to be kind of the rock star of DNS. Wrote the book quite literally. In fact, I remember that that role I talked about back in the day when I was a sales rep. I had to read this person's book before we could actually start selling. <laughs> and so just fast forward 20 some odd years later, and this person happens to be on on the team, which is great. Name's Cricket Lou and and kind of you put them in front of a of a customer or prospect and they're awestruck. So it's it's great to have that kind of secret weapon. So yeah, that's that's the group. It's you know product marketing, digital demand generation, the, the field marketing team, ops, corporate marketing, the BDR team and the evangelist team. Modern marketing team. <laughs> there feels you go. Like, right. Any other thoughts on sort of your your overall marketing strategy or how you think about things? Sure. Yeah. You know, when I when I think about modern marketing and really focusing on trying to you know, maximize the amount of inbound demand, right? That's that's where we're where you know the ultimate goal we're trying to achieve is is to do that. I always think about it analogous to fly fishing. You ever fly fished? Oh, dude, of course. Of course, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. So I mean, I love fishing. Right. So, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's funny because I, I always use, you know, bait fishing and fly fishing, you know, very different, but very, very similar. But I always like the, the concept of fly fishing because there's this concept of matching the hatch, right? You ever heard of that? Yep. So you match the hatch, right? You keep, oh, yeah. Right? I, I, can I interrupt you? Yes, really please. Quick to say that I have a, I have a blog post yeah. that I wrote on this, like probably... I think like almost 10 years ago at this point, that probably is the exact thing that you're saying. That, that is I awesome. was like, yeah, 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 the fly fishing and yeah. I went fly fishing in Montana and I was in sales at the time and I left and I was like, wait a second, there's this analogy there. Anyway, Absolutely. Sorry, well, I, I mean, you know, that's it. That's the way I look at it is, is, is you've got to figure out what is a fish you're, you're fishing for. You got to figure out what are the flies that are actually flying around at that particular point in time that the the fish expects to be sitting on the on the surface of the water, or you know, or in some cases under the water. And you got to be able to match that hatch. You got to be able to match the the fly to the fish at that particular stream. And I think about it the exact same way. That buyer persona, understanding the buyer and all the research that you do is just doing the research of the of that fish and and where they are on that journey is kind of where where the seasons are, right? It's sometimes that same exact fish and that same exact stream separated by five months, completely different fly you're using. It's the same same concept of if the buyer is earlier in the journey versus the buyer is late in the journey, the, the content has to change and it has to adapt to to the to what what they're trying to do in their decision-making process. Are they trying to de-risk the decision or are they trying to just simply research and see what's out there, right? And so, very, very focused on on that that concept where content is the bait and making sure that we can get the most effective content in front of the the you know the buyer. It's a one to one really one to one to one relationship. One one piece of content for one buyer at whatever that one point in time that they would be in that in that journey. And so we're 
we're actually trying to, to do a lot of advancements in our in our tracking and understanding of how how the, the content is actually working and, and, and being effective within that process and and tweaking things and figuring out if we need to refresh something or, or add something completely new. But it's 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 all part of our our belief that the, the right content to the right to the right buyer is is going to generate and once again that that interest that demand and engagement so we're always trying to to measure overall engagement across the personas that we're looking at and so that drives our our inbound that drives that engagement and once we get them engaged then then it comes down to keeping them engaged nurturing them along until we can kind of get them to that point of wanting to talk to to our BDR and so that content can be in the form of actual content PDFs ebooks video interactive or it could be field marketing events and we're, we're we have been experimenting a great deal on trying to cr- find creative engagements content or events owned events where we can get those prospects those buyers truly engaged with our product with our people we believe that the that the people we have selling and people we have marketing are, are sharp and, and will going are going to give the customer confidence in the company they're going to be working with, hopefully. And so whatever we can do to to be creative and, and stand out from from the crowd. We're, and, and we're seeing it. There's no such thing as a one size fits all. Unfortunately, there's not. I'd be so awesome if it was. But even the United States right now, East Coast, in-person field marketing events, killing it. West Coast, nobody wants to show up. So we're not like, it's so weird. And so we were like, okay, well, we, we don't want to just fight it. We'll go along. So we were doing more virtual on the, on the West coast and it's working and we're getting a great deal more engagement that way. But we just always have to be looking at the data to see what it's telling us so we can adapt, you know, to once again, the needs of the prospects and the audience. Well, I, I'm going to have to, to spruce up my match the hatch blog post <laughs> and maybe Brad, we can, we can work on it together. Oh, I'd love to. We can co-author. Yeah. I'll give a super quick version of, yeah. of my take on this. So I went fishing with three friends and we, there were three different guides mm-hmm. and one was very aggressive. One was very professional and the other one was like, not the best guide. One guide basically the whole day fished one single fly and the guy didn't catch anything. Yeah. The second guy fished a few different flies, but but was very like, was work every single part of the stream, mm-hmm. very meticulous, and he caught one fish. And and my my guide, like we trudged up the river, you mm-hmm. know, like a quarter mile, went right to the spot where he's like, I know they're here, threw like five times with one fly, didn't work, switched out. We switched like five or six times and then finally found the fly that was the right one and then we caught like 10. That's it. And, and then we trudge up the river and like go find a new spot and go trudge up the river and find a new spot. And it was just like the ultimate marketing sort of sales analogy where it's like, you have to be in the right place. You have to have the right thing that they want at that particular time. Yeah. And then you got to, you got to just do it over and over and over and over again. Once you, once you know that that's the right thing. And, you know, if you just take all day trying the same thing, it's just. Yeah, you beat your head up against the wall. And and in marketing terms, throw good money over bad. You know, the movie River Runs Through It, like Brad Pitt as a young actor. Remember, he was he was out. His, you know, his brother was just, you know, false casting, looking at, you know, looking at his brother, looking at Brad Pitt and walk around trying to catch, you know, flies with a net. He's like, what the hell is he doing? He kept opening up and looking at the flies in his hand. That was what he's doing. He was looking and said, all right, what's here? What's what's working? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure all everyone's like, okay, enough. Yeah. But, but this is, I think this stuff is really, is really interesting yeah. because I think it speaks to a, bro- a broader, just like a, a way of thinking about things. Sure. So yeah, our, our guide is like was super famous guide and that's my buddy's dad, but he's like <laughs> yeah. a very, very well-renowned 
guy to Montana and he had this like big, it was like a big metal screen mm-hmm. and we walk out and he's like, he shoves it in the ground and then he's like, all right guys, just kick up, a, kick up as many rocks, walk through yeah. the river and kick up as many rocks as you can get. And then we're like, what is he talking yeah. about? And then, you know, we do that and he picks up the screen and then all the little bugs that were all kicked up from all those rocks are sitting in the screen. Yeah. And then he lays each of his different flies on there. And you're like, man, you're such a, I mean, this he's a yeah. yeah, but that's what you mean, right? It's like, whatever is, is happening at that given time. It's like, oh, well this, the caddis fly is, is in larvae stage. Yeah, exactly. Do whatever. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's in larvae stage, and then yeah, and then once it once it hatches, it's going to look like this, and it's going to land on the water like this. And you're like, I never knew that there was so many intricacies to this whole thing. But I think it's a great analogy for marketing, as you said. Well, and I think you know what makes a great marketer better than an average marketer. It's the same concept. Two fishermen going on the on the lake. They have both have the exact same rod, the same reel. You might even have the same same bait. What makes the one just ripping fish out left and right, and the other one doesn't catch anything at all? It's the same concept. You've got to you've got to understand the behaviors of the buyers that you're selling to, and the market that's out there, and what else is out there trying to steal their attention. And it's 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 always a good analogy. Well, yeah, and I think one of the other things this is like about fishing. <laughs> one of the things that that was most interesting to me about that was that he was explaining, and he's like, a fish is only going to waste calories to go eat something Mm -hmm. that it that it is worthy of eating calories Mm -hmm. so if it's grasshopper season Mm -hmm. they're not going to want to go waste calories on some other stuff because they know that there's a bunch of grasshoppers around that's what they're going to you know the bigger fish are going to you know Mm -hmm. do that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and i always think about that from a marketing perspective of like Mm -hmm. in the in this sort of calorie intake way of like it's wasting someone's time right? right it's like that person's not going to go schedule a demo with sales if they aren't ready to get harassed by sales for the next six months, right? right? They're just not going to do it because they're like, it's going to be a huge pain. But what are the things that you can give them that are the right amount of calories at the right time where it's like they don't want to have this like huge commitment to go, mm. you know, so they get hounded by a sales rep for a long time? What is the easy drink and beer that you can give them that they can just have every month or so or every week, yeah. hopefully, over the course of the next six months? And then once they're ready to hit the sales button, then uh, then they're ready to talk, that, talk turkey. Talk turkey. And that's, you know, and that's one of the other aspects is those little, you know, in your analogy, the beers, right? Every time they take a sip and they like, you know, oh, this, this is a damn good beer. And every time that every other week or whatever, they have the frequencies, they, every time they take a sip of that beer, they, they're like, damn, this is a really good beer. At the end of it, they're going to be like, hey, when I go want to go buy a case of this stuff, I'm going to go to this company. I, I know it. Yeah. I've interacted with it. I, I know I like it. And there's that concept from a marketing standpoint, don't underestimate the small interactions with your brand. Even if it's mm-hmm. just one visit to the website to, to get an answer to, that they need to give to their boss. If they can get that answer and it's the right answer that's helping them at that time, then then they build just that little, little bit of trust. And they keep doing that and they keep building that trust and keep building that trust up. You know, pretty soon when it comes to a buying decision, they're going to, they're going to trust you. They're going to trust you. There's congruence, right? There's congruence in the interactions. It's the same way with, with your social interactions. And this is, I see this wrong all the time. Everyone is always trying to pull people off of social instead of creating things that are meant to be engaged on social. Mm -hmm. We make all these podcasts and whenever the video clips, people are always like, oh, that's a good teaser to try to get them to listen to the episode. I'm like, I literally don't care if they listen to the episode ever, but if they can just get the information in that little video clip in that minute and 30 second and go on with their day, like 
that's what I would way rather have like have take a sip rather than be like, come and subscribe and do all this stuff. Like I really don't care if all they consume is just the newsletter. Like that's fine. And I think that just so many people want to like suck them back into the vortex instead of just like deliver the value right there, right then. Mm -hmm. And just be happy with that small engagement rather than just like making every single thing push towards a demo. It's the the concept, you know, the funnel and the funnel is so, you know, so tall that we got to be valuing the people that are just coming in the tip, tip top of that funnel as much as, you know, the middle and the bottom of that funnel, because, you know, if we do our, if we are doing jobs right as marketers, the right percentage will actually end up down at the bottom when it comes time to, to make that, that buying decision and forcing, you know, part, part of what we're trying to do is obviously maybe, you know, expose pain that they may not you know realize they have or or educate them on value that they could be realizing if they bought our services better that's just part of the marketing process but to accelerate somebody who says you know what i gotta make a decision like i need i need to you know buy a solution to help me with this particular pain point and if the very first interaction they have with your company is you're like hey what can i do to get you in this car today you're just going to turn turn them off you're just going to turn them off immediately no they, they need their time they need to percolate they need to they need to kind of really interact and truly understand and 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 feel ownership in the ultimate decision instead of feeling like they're getting bombarded with messaging. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? When it comes to overall you know, marketing mix, when I look at, you know, look at what we're doing, we truly do have a mix. And it does change a little bit depending on where we are in, in, in our company stage. For instance, a year and a half ago, we didn't spend a lot on, on brand and brand awareness because quite honestly, it was the same brand that had been for the last 20 some odd years. Did a refresh, and we need to spend a little bit more on that on that brand. So we do have some brand brand market, not a large amount. It's not we're, we're not out there putting billboards up on the one hundred and one or or not, but we certainly are spending more time and and thoughtfulness around the words we're using and where we show up. Right now, digital inbound that's what we're trying to drive. Our digital marketing budget can't change. I can't cut that. If if we were, you know, just keep the lights on mentality, digital would be the last place I, I cut. It is the most scalable and cost-effective means for us to be able to get interactions and engagements into the funnel. And once again, there's varying levels of cost depending on that channel, syndication, you know, kind of syndication and, and audience aggregation and things like that. But at the end of the day, that's one that we that we really want to continue to push on. Number two, our, our field-owned events. That's an area where I, I wouldn't want to move away because that is getting most of the time face-to-face -face intimate engagement with buyers as well as customers. And, and the more I can bring those two audiences together so they can talk to each other because we have a product that our customers are raving fans of, boy, they could be my, my marketers. They can actually help sell the product for me. And so that would be, you know, another area that that I wouldn't want to want to cut. The last channel would be the work that we do with our partners. Partners give us a force multiplier. Partners also sometimes give us credibility in audiences that we don't have, you know, either credibility or a reputation in front of, right? 
sometimes those partners are value added resellers. Sometimes they're just these distribution uh, distributors or in more recent times, we're working more and more with cloud service providers and the sellers at those cloud service providers. So aligning to their sales plays, what are the most important things in their list of sales plays that they're doing, you know, going out there and what can we do to help them hit those numbers, bringing our two value propositions together. And even though we're, we're the big gorilla in our space, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're, we're not even a billion dollar company sitting next to Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and others. You know, we're, we're, we're getting pull gravitational pull from their brand and that's uh, that activity is extremely important. So you know, the part, the partner marketing and, and partner motions are, are always extremely important and have been my entire career within tech marketing. Yeah, it's so important. It's so, so important. I love that you brought up partner marketing as part of this. I think there's just so many ways to do it right and so many ways to do it wrong that I think it's just a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. But finding those really good partners that are selling to the same person that can cut your cut your stuff in half, your costs in yeah. half for a campaign is is brilliant. You touched on digital, you know, for the first mm-hmm. one. How do you break down digital? What is digital to to you, and what are the different components of it? Well, a digital campaign, you know, obviously webinars is a big a big means for us to to get out there in front of our customers, and we do a pretty regularly scheduled process. We do our version of podcasting for the security marketplace and, and do a great deal of that. We have another video or vlog that we produce that you know, brings in a great audience and, and that we're continually nurturing them. We do a lot of content syndication on, on third-party sites that are are the the fishing holes for for our customers to do research, right? The trusted areas for them to work on their in the research for for our type of solution. So we're doing a lot of a lot of work that way. We still do, you know, obviously a great deal of always on campaigns and and nurture campaigns that are very effective. And we've been getting some good luck with with an ABM, a kind of a cross channel ABM program where digital takes a portion, field takes a portion, BDR takes a portion, sales takes a portion, and then we then we stay very very connected through the process to drive engagement with those you know those identified accounts that we want to target. Yeah, and and how do you think about your website? So well, like, you know, I think first of all the, the site itself is is the front doormat of our company. It it is generally the first impression in this kind of the world is flat world. People you know go to our website and interact with our brand for the first time generally right there on the website. So we want to make sure that we're always putting our best foot forward. Looking at what content is on there, what are the words, what are, what are the, how fresh is it? You know, there was a point in time where it wasn't being freshened on our, even our homepage. So you go to a homepage, you know, five weeks in a row, it's the exact same homepage. And we started to see engagement going up. Of course, we imagine that and took your eye off the ball on this one. So we, you know, so now we have a constant decision to always be creating kind of that fresh new piece of reason why people want to come back. We think about the site in the concept of the journey as well, right? We have two buyers, the security and the networking buyer. What is the hook on the main page for the security buyer that's in that kind of awareness stage of the buyer and buying journey? And what is, you know, the, the, the piece and hook that's going to be focused on the networking buyer and their awareness portion of the journey? And where is that driving them? And then also, well, what, what about in the, in the consideration phase? What are we doing, you know, for those, those same two buyers independently on the, on, on that phase? And so we're, we're looking at those journeys and are those journeys working or the way we mapped out the journey within the website? Is it working? Do we see that actually playing out in, in the, the clickstream analysis of the website? So doing a lot of work on, on, on that aspect. And then 
you know, recently we're really considering other other things like look, looking at like, how, how do we step back and go, okay, our website, you know, is it, it looks modern, it, it feels modern, but it isn't. And like we have, we're, we haven't thought about it with the fresh eyes of 2023 or 2024. We certainly haven't leveraged, you know, concept like AI to, to, to play around with. How can we make sure the website morphs based on customer industry or the, or the visitor's industry or the geo that, that they're coming in at? Can we have information if they are a registered user that we can make sure that we're trying to present ideally what we believe they want to see in the very first page and then in increase engagement? So we're, we're always trying to figure out ways to make sure, not just keep an eye, you know, selfishly as a marketer, you say, we want to keep them on our website as long as they can. It's a B2B website. They're not going to spend nine hours on a website, but we want to make sure that we maximize right, right? right. It's like, like it's not going to happen, but we want to max the value and the, and the effectiveness of the website visit to whatever visitor that, that comes in and make sure they get, you know, get the information, get the content or the answers they need within the most minimal amount of clicks that they possibly can. It is the biggest driver of engagement and demand out of all of our channels and therefore the most you know, cost-effective overall, cost per lead. All right, let's get to our last segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Quick hits, Brad, are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. Lightning round. <laughs> Hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Fine woodworking. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show you'd, you'd uh, recommend? Being brought up in a military family, I, I gravitate toward uh, a lot of the special forces books and, and whatnot. I, I love Goggins. I'm a big fan of his, but all the way down to Jocko Willink. And, and I just got through reading Admiral McRaven's Wisdom of the Bullfrog. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. Great leadership book. If you weren't in marketing or business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Something outdoors or something in the woodshop. What is your best advice for a first-time CMO? Don't be afraid to fail. Don't always assume people are questioning you and wondering why you're in the role. Everybody has imposter syndrome, that first you know, assignment. Have the confidence in, in, to say, this is what I know and this is what I don't know. And be very open to show the data and work with your, your stakeholders and colleagues. Brad, so awesome having you on the show. Thanks again for joining. For our listeners, go to infoblocks.com to learn more. Check out their marketing and nudge your teams to, to go try a demo. <laughs> Brad, any final thoughts, anything to plug? The last thing, I, you know, I, we didn't really cover it, but I talked a little bit about our marketing ops team, but we're, we're getting a lot, of, a lot of value out of empowering all the way down to our individual contributors, our field marketers, our BDRs, went out with their own personal dashboards. So they know exactly how they're doing and the impact they're having on the marketing engine, as well as even, you know, marketing source bookings. They can see everything from conversion rates in between sales stages and, and marketing stages all the way down to they wrote a piece of content and this is how it's performing. And it's been really impactful for the team. Very empowering. Oh, that's awesome. That's super cool. Brett, great having you on the show. Thanks again and talk soon. Hey, my pleasure, Ian. Thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.